Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert And today, Robert, we have a very special guest, a guest that really needs no introduction to our listeners and our readers, but but we're going to let him introduce her, himself anyway, and that's Michael Grunwald from Politico and Politico Magazine and the author of the critically acclaimed, and critically acclaimed seems like an understatement when we're talking about this specific work, uh, the critically acclaimed book, The Swamp. Hey, I'm uh, Michael Grunwald. I'm a senior writer at Politico Magazine, but I suspect that the reason you guys are having me on is because I think approximately a billion years ago I wrote a book called The Swamp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and years ago, but uh, that is that is probably one of one of the top five best books ever written in, I would say, the past uh, 30 years, in my opinion. It's a, a masterful book. It really is. Oh, that's so kind of you to say. I really appreciate it. So, writing, writing books sucks, so it's always, but the nice part is people say nice things. <laughs> Especially Carl Hyacin. You got the ultimate testimonial from a Floridian uh, with Carl Hyacin's testimonial on the front cover of, of the paperback edition of your book, back cover of the hardcover edition. Well, he's a great guy, and that really was an honor that he that he spoke so highly about it. So, Michael, uh, we're going to have you for, for two episodes here as, as we're in the holiday season in, in 2020. I want to thank you for taking some time out uh, from uh, yeah, your family time with to, to talk to us. Uh, the first thing we want to discuss is the infamous Everglades jet port, because I seem to get more questions about this topic than any other topic in Florida history, which quite frankly blows my mind. Um, I think part of it is a lot of people have read your book, and then part of it is there are people who go out on a Tamiami Trail and they see this this thing out there. That's the, this huge thing out there today. So uh, walk us through a little bit of the the the, the battle over this uh, this building of a what would it was going to be the largest airport in the world at the time in the middle of the Big Cypress Swamp. Sure. Well, you know what I was going to say first is that. Uh, one thing that makes me a little sad about thinking about the death board um, is that, first of all, you know, it's it's really, even though it's you can't believe when you drive by that there's actually a, a runway strip out there, you know, not not to, uh, you know, not to do a spoiler for your podcast, but uh, but it's a great conservation victory. It was supposed to fit in on an entire airport um, that would have completely transformed the development patterns of South Florida, and it was defeated by some environmentalists um, and some public officials. And what I was going to say, it's, uh, many of the heroes of the Jetport story have passed in the last couple of years, certainly, you know, since the book was written, but... Uh, um, you know, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, uh, she, she passed a while back at, at, you know, the ripe old age of 108. But more recently, uh, Joe Browder, a few years ago, who at the time was the, uh, the this young whippersnapper for the Audubon Society, and Nat Reed, um, Nathaniel Reed, who at the time was the assistant secretary of, of the interior in charge of fish and wildlife and the Nixon administration, um, you know, this kind of, you know, great Brahmin sort of JFK-ish type guy who, uh, you know, who really just loved nature, was uh, committed to, to doing whatever he could, you know, the Republican administration or not, to, to save the, the big Cypress. Um, 
you know, they, they passed quite recently. And so, so I feel like, you know, in, in some sense, the, the spirit of those guys, you don't always see around, you know, there's, there is a little bit of a resurgence in environmentalism right now, particularly around the climate, but maybe with a little bit less of the, the spirit of those guys who were, who were really, really something. And they were, they were warriors. Yeah, Michael, I wanted to ask you specifically about Nat Reed. So it's uh, funny you brought him up first, but he had it. And Robert and I have talked about this on previous episodes of our podcast. He had probably the most positive influence over Republicans in this state and nationally in the case of Nixon when it came specifically to this uh, big Cypress Jetport issue, but also uh, on Governor Kirk when it came to not only the Everglades, but uh, Biscayne National Park, uh, some of the areas uh, kind of the outer Everglades and Palm Beach and Broward counties and even the Indian River and water quality, Windian River and St. Lucie River. Uh, what was it about that era that allowed guys like Nat Reed, who were from these Brahmin backgrounds, as you talked about, kind of elitist backgrounds, but Republicans and serving in Republican administrations to take such a progressive view on on uh, issues of water quality and the environment? Well, I guess there are two things I would mention. I mean, first is that this was an era of, um, you know, there was a real environmental awakening in the 60s and 70s. You remember that, that you know, that river in Cleveland caught fire. Right. Uh, you know, bald eagles were on the edge of extinction. And I think there was a real sense that essentially that, you know, humanity had soiled its own nest. Right. That, uh, that this is wrong. Like, you know, so it's, something's, something's not, not right here. And there really was the first Earth Day was in 1970. Um, and so I think there was a sense that, you know, the, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the landscapes we like uh, were really in danger. And remember, uh, and Nixon, although, you know, he wasn't really a particularly ardent environmentalist, it is a, he was a ardent politician. And it is a sign of the times that he signed the EPA into law, that, that, uh, that he signed the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act. Um, the Endangered Species Act. This was really a time when, when stuff was happening in the environmental space. Um, the other thing I would mention specifically about, about Nat and, uh, and Joe as well is that these are environmentalists who came through it naturally. They love nature. And I should admit, you know, I get this all the time because I did write this book that I'm, you know, gratified that people feel very strongly about. And, you know, they say, like, oh, you must be a real nature guy. Um, and the, the honest truth is I'm not. I'm a reporter. In that case, I was a historian. You know, my idea of the outdoors is pretty much playing tennis. Um, although, you know, I did my reporting for the book and spent a lot of time in, in the Everglades with people who love it. And Nathaniel was one of those, those people. And I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a story I tell in the book about, uh, the secretary of the interior at the time, uh, Wally Hickel. Um, it looked like the Nixon administration was absolutely hell-bent to, to build this airport. And, uh, but, Nat wanted to basically was trying to sort of run an, a rear guard action. And he took Wally Hickel out into the Everglades himself, into the big Cypress swamp. And they camped out and they got roaringly drunk. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that really, the, the sort of the punchline was that he got Hick, Secretary Hickel to really appreciate the place. Um, this was a time of really place-based environmentalism that because, you know, climate is a global thing where it's kind of a numbers game, how many, how many emissions, how much carbon do we pump into the atmosphere? You know, some of the, it's a little bit different right now, but, uh, but saving places like the Big Cypress Swamp 
was the kind of thing that came naturally to people who loved places like the Big Cypress Swamp and uh, you know who appreciated the dwarf cypress, the snakes, the frogs, the you know the the red cockaded woodpeckers, you know the panthers and bears and stuff that uh, you know that maybe you know not all of it's on the postcards, um, but these were people who really loved the place. You mentioned in your book the term Hollandizing of the glades, which is what some of the developers and, and, and land speculators, etc., had wanted to do uh, in the Big Cypress Swamp and the Everglades and use that anecdote to talk about Nat Reed taking uh, Walter Hickel out into the glades and making him appreciate the place. Um, just elaborate a little more on that battle, because there were people who felt like the Everglades were something that could be tamed the way the Dutch had, had tamed and reclaimed land in, in the Netherlands. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is sort of what my book is about, right? The sort of the, the fight to reclaim the Everglades and what that really means, right? To, to improve it, to develop it, right? These were positive words. To, you know, like, you want your child to develop. People thought you wanted the Everglades to develop, too. Um, and in fact, I remember, uh, you know, I, I hope I don't I don't um, brutalize it, but there's an anecdote in my book where one of the boosters for the for the airport at a, at a meeting in Miami said, I don't know what we're fighting about. This is typical Florida real estate. And in a sense, that's true. Um, you know, the, that most of South Florida really was originally, if it wasn't all swampland, it was wetlands. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I tell a lot of stories about, you know, and we all know the jokes about, oh, I've got a bit of Florida swampland I can sell you, um, you know, that it's, and there are an incredible history of scammers and schemers um, selling essentially wetlands under the pretense that they're dry lands. But Florida is a place where those lies came true. And it was not insane for people to think that the Big Cypress Swamp could be a, you know, a perfectly good subdivision someday. Um, what it took was people like Nat Reed who said, no, this kind of typical Florida real estate, you know, you look at the swamp and see uh, a wasteland that needs to be developed. Um, you know, he saw something that was already paradise. It didn't need to be turned into paradise. And, uh, and that was the real fight that, uh, that the jet port really, you know, personified because it was, you know, it was such a, it was such a tangible place where it was like, is this entire big cypress swamp? And I, I think. Oh, no, I just, I was going to agree with you. I think, um, I think all Floridians really owe him a, a huge debt of gratitude, um, more than probably anybody in the Kirk administration was able to sort of uh, shape and articulate um, inside the government the conservationist ideals, and um, he, he did quite a, a great service to the state, in my opinion. No, I think that's right. I mean, look, you know, the reason people thought South Florida was a wasteland was because it was wet, right? Um, that's why, you know, the book is called The Swamp. Um, but essentially, South Florida was, it was a backwater. When the first, when the Spaniards first came, you know, 350 years ago, they described it as uh, liable to overflow and of no use. 
and uh, and that was true <laughs> until they drained it, right? And now, of course, we hear about you know draining the swamp. You know, usually they're talking about Washington, and it's seen as like a good thing to do, <laughs> <laughs> whether or not it's done. But uh, but uh, but you know, mostly most of the people who wanted to drain the swamp were progressives. It was uh, you know they were conservationists who wanted to really make use of this land God had gave, given us. Um, it took people like Matt Reed in the sixties and seventies who said, "Wait a minute, like you know maybe this place is pretty good the way God gave it to us. Maybe we don't need to improve it. Uh, maybe we don't need to drain the swamp. Maybe it has some use, but." You know, after stopping the jet port, um, which was not an easy fight, but uh, then Lawton Childs, who was, uh, you know, he he got legislation in, in Congress to to turn the entire Big Cypress Swamp into a national preserve. You know, at the time, you know, that was seen, you know, 10 years earlier, that would have been seen as a ridiculous thing to do. Um, you know, the only problem with the Big Cypress Swamp was why haven't we drained it yet? Um, but, well, you know, pretty quickly after that, uh, it was, you know, how can we save it? How can we make sure it's the way it is for future generations? And, uh, and that wasn't, that uh, was not necessarily inevitable. There was that famous meeting in Miami where the, the mayor of Miami Dade County <laughs> said that, said that Nat Reed and Joe Browder and, uh, and their coke conspirators, he called them white militants. <laughs> you know, they were like, you know, the, the, you know, the rioters who were, uh, you know, who were, who were burning down cities. Um, but, uh, um, you know, they were opposed to progress, which I suppose in a sense they, uh, they were. It just depends what you consider progress. Would you, would it be fair to say that, um, and, and Claude Kirk, particularly in the last few decades of his life, um, he made a, a great deal of talk about how he essentially established um, in a conservation record in the state of Florida, and he pointed to somebody like Ian Burns, who was his successor. Um, had this been developed in the early 60s, late 50s, would there have been any way that it would have stopped you know, it's hard to imagine it, and uh, and you know, Claude Kirk, as much as a nut as he was, um, <laughs> he uh, he really, you know, what he did was he told you know his great contribution to Florida conservation history was telling Nat Reed to go do your thing. Um, yeah, and this was a time when. You know, sewage went straight into the into the rivers and the lakes and the bays. This was a time when you know there was really virtually no environmental law in Florida, and uh, Nat came you know Nat came around and changed all that. He made a lot of Chamber of Commerce types unhappy, and uh, Claude Kirk was willing to to take the heat for him. So yeah, I think you know I I said him a. You know, you could imagine uh, you could imagine that South Florida would have been developed all the way from you know Naples from Naples to Palm Beach, and they they could have called it Napalm Beach, <laughs> <laughs> one big one big gigantic suburb. Of course, what we now know and what you know Nathaniel always understood was that you know the the aquifers that provide South Florida's drinking water sit right underneath what would have been Napalm Beach. Yeah. You know, they're right underneath the Everglades. Um, and that, uh, 
you know, that would have, at some point there would have been a, an incredible environmental reckoning um, as the you know state ran out of water. And beyond that, and this is you know the subtitle of my book is uh, Everglades, Florida, and the Politics of Paradise. I do think one thing that South Floridians, you know, in particular, have discovered is that there is a you know that there's a fine line in paradise, right? I mean, you don't want to be the guy who gets to paradise, you know, gets into the treehouse and then then pulls up the rope ladder <laughs> so nobody else can come. Um, but uh, but there's certainly a sense that the the threats to the Everglades, the threats to places like Big Cypress, are the same kind of essentially exurbanth sprawl that has created a lot of our quality of life problems down here. The, you know, the overcrowded roads, the overcrowded hospitals, um, the, uh, you know, that kind of loss of a sense of place where, you know, sometimes in some areas of South Florida, it just feels like, the, you know, the Jersey Turnpike with better weather. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is something that we're fighting against. And again, you also saw, um, now, 12 years ago, not long after my book came out, you know, a lot of these places that I wrote about in the swamp, the kind of, the you know, the homesteads, the Port St. Lucie's, the Cape Corals, these kind of places that had been developed in a very unsustainable way um, for the environment, it turned out that they were economically unsustainable as well. And they were sort of ground zero for the foreclosure crisis in 2008, 2009. Um, so that's, I think, something that we're grappling with is, you know, how can, just as we were 20 years ago and in some ways 50 years ago, is how can we make South Florida sustainable in a way that works for the bugs and bunnies and, you know, panthers and gators uh, and works for us too. Great. Well, that's fantastic, uh, Michael. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to be back next week, another podcast with you talking about everybody's related issues. So thank you once again for listening to the Florida History Podcast.